Welcome to Jesus, our creator. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And what I'm really excited about is the Lord said to me over and over, he just kept saying, tell everyone this, tell everyone this is for everybody. It's for Christians. It's for non-Christians. It's for everyone. And that was really exciting to me. And I think when we're done with this, you are going to have a new appreciation for Jesus and how he loves you and how he loved you before you knew him because he knew you and we'll see that so okay so um i'm going to start with hebrews no i'm not i'm starting with colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 and this is what it says about jesus He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So um, one of the things that I thought of of this picture is imagine that I say to Rose and Diego, I would like to build you a house. And the house is going to have your picture on it. And it's going to be everything that's your favorite thing. Now, will you help me build it? And so then Rose is going to come and she's going to build the house with me. And then I'm going to present the house to her. Does that make sense? But see, that's what Jesus did. Everything was made through him. Everything was made for him. And everything in its ultimate culmination is going to be presented to him and yet he has been an integral part in building it all and does that confuse you because if it doesn't confuse you you are tons smarter than me (laughs) because that is so hard to wrap your head around that jesus is intricately involved with every single thing that has ever existed and so i'm hoping as we talk about this you'll understand it a little more. So, um, going on to Genesis 1, then God said, let us, so catch that, then God said, let us, plural, make man in our image, this is 26 and 27, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so God decides, I don't know who had the idea. Was it Jesus? Was it the Father? Was it the Holy Spirit? Hey, let's create man. I have this feeling about God that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always in complete unity. Have you ever had someone that they say something and you're like, I was just thinking that. 
So here is God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at creation. Jesus is at creation. He's creating, and they're creating man to reflect. And there, this is a whole teaching. I won't even go into it because if you have ever wondered, well, uh, this is what I used to wonder. How come non-Christians are so much nicer than me? <laughs> you know, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and I meet these non-Christians, and they're so much nicer than me. And um, it's because all mankind is made in the image of God. So all mankind, every person on the earth, to a degree, I mean, unless except people who have totally sold themselves over to evil, they reflect an aspect of the image of God. And, of course, they also are conceived in sin, so they reflect the sinful nature. But that's why you can meet people that are unregenerated, and they can be so wonderful. Because God made us to be like him, to reflect his image. And in the beginning, if you would have looked at people, you would have said, oh, that's what God is like. Not perfectly, because they were not God. They were not omniscient. They were, you know, not from before all times. But then, of course, sin. Then you have Jesus. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So even more so, Jesus perfectly reflects the Father. So anyway, I just wanted you to notice that Jesus was at creation. The Holy Spirit was at creation. So Jesus was there. And you could go on a sightseeing tour and find Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Um, very exciting, but we won't do that. So, next we are going to Matthew 25. And um, this is Jesus talking. And Jesus refers a lot in the Gospels to himself as the Son of Man. And he is about to give his life on the cross, and so he's talking to his disciples, and to the people that are following him. And this is what he says. But when the Son of Man, um, that's me, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. So I want you to picture that. All the nations will be gathered before him. All the Spaniards, all the Mexicans, all the Puerto Ricans, all the Germans, all the Irish, all the nations. That's all of them. They're all going to be gathered. And what's he going to do? So it says, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right side and he will put the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you for the, from the foundation of the earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, 
truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he says to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And he goes on and he explains why. Because when he needed all those things, they did not provide those things. And then he says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So as the creator, and this is something important for every person alive on planet Earth to know, as the creator, Jesus will sit on the throne and every single person will appear before him and he will separate them. There is not a person who has ever lived that will not be separated. And that's something that's important to know. Why can Jesus do that? Because we belong to him. He created us and he owns us. And I had a friend named Claudia and she was such a beautiful artist. She painted and she made all these beautiful crafts. And one of my favorite things that she made was these beautiful dolls. And these dolls were just so cute. And I asked her to make me one. And she said she would. And, you know, she was busy. And then suddenly she got pregnant and she was more busy. And then one day I went over to her house and one of these beautiful dolls she made was in the trash. And I said, why did you throw away this beautiful doll? And she said, well, I made a mistake. And she showed me where she made a mistake and it was where no one could see. And I said, Claudia, why don't you give it to me? I'm not a perfectionist, and no one will ever see it, so they'll never know you made a mistake. And she's like, but I will know. And I thought, she is crazy. But the truth was, it was her doll, and she could do whatever she wanted with it because she had created it. She had made it. It was hers. She could have any standard for what she created that she wanted. It was hers. It wasn't mine to make that standard for her because I wasn't the creator. Does that make sense? Okay. So, now this is one of my favorite passages. It's Acts 17, and this is going to start tying all of these things together, the creator, the judge, and how that works together. And I love this because Paul's in Athens, and he sees this, um, this shrine to an unknown God. And he's, you know, instead of going like me, I would say, this is so demonic. Can someone please plead the blood of Jesus over this right now? So I would get so upset and, you know, I would be, you know, praying in the spirit and I would be, you know, texting my intercessors, you need to pray, you know, there's, but see, this is what Paul does. And I think it's so cool. He stands up in the middle of this big hall and he says men of Athens I perceive that in every way you are very religious for as I passed and observed the objects of your worship I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God what therefore you worship as unknown 
I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you all about it. Like this God you have there, this shrine you have here to the unknown God, that's the true God. I'm going to tell you about the true God. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So he first he says, the true God is not here. But you're halfway there. You get it. There's a God you don't know. He's not here. He's not in this temple. Nor is he served by human hands as if he needed everything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He gives to all mankind life and breath and some things, some things, what does he give? Everything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling. And in the NIV it says having determined the places and the times when they will live. And so he basically says, from one man, Adam, he made the entire human race. All of those people that I told you were going to stand before him, all the Germans, all the Irish, all the Cubans, everyone. They came from one man, and that was Adam. And even Eve came from Adam because he took the rib out and from that rib from Adam he fashioned Eve and so every person alive goes back to Adam and he's saying so you know I don't Paul's just saying God made the entire all every person on the world from this one man Adam and then he determined when and where each person would live and I remember discovering that verse as a young woman and being so excited because I always thought I was born in the wrong century. I felt like somehow there had been a mistake and I was supposed to be born in the time when you visited people in your coach and you left a calling card and you wore really long dresses. And I, I thought, surely, surely there's a mistake, but no. God set the exact time and place for me to live because that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So do you understand why he picked the exact time for every person? He didn't just do it for you. He didn't just do it for me. For every single person. He picked the exact time and place where they would live so that they would seek him, so that they would want him. If you look at your home situation and you say, this doesn't seem right to me, God made a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. You are in your situation because God placed you there. Jesus placed you there so that you would be blessed and happy and dance and sing so that you would seek him, so that you would desperately need him, so that you would desperately need him. 
yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now, keep in mind, Paul is talking to unbelievers. He says, God, Jesus, is not far from any one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. In other words, we are indeed his creation. He made us. You, you Greeks, sometimes you're so dumb with all your philosophies. He doesn't say that. He's thinking that. He's thinking, wow, you get so mixed up, so confused. You worship all these idols. They're really demons. But God still is not far from each one of you. And in Jesus, you move and live and have your being. And that's so beautiful. I love that. I just think that's so awesome. So anyway, he goes on, and some of them get saved. And, um, well, he goes on, and he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So again, he says, I created you in you. Paul is saying God created them, and he's saying that in Jesus you live and move and have your being, and, oh, by the way, you need to repent because Jesus one day is going to judge you. That as his creation, one day you will be separated. All right, so moving on, Hebrews, by the way, Hebrews 9, 27 says that it's appointed for man to die once and then face the judgment. So for, you know, people who believe they have time after time after time, they don't. It's just one time. So God created, he will judge his creation, and he sets the time and places when and where all of us will live so that, do you remember, so that we will seek him. So here's what's exciting to me. How many of you know someone who says, I want nothing to do with Jesus? Okay, now imagine if Jesus had nothing to do with him or her. What would happen? The bones would disintegrate. The blood would stop flowing. The cells would stop working. Things would stop crossing the cell membrane. Nothing would work. Life would be gone. Because Jesus, in him, all things hold together. He's the creator, and in him all things we hold together. And we read that and we think, oh, yeah, that's just, you know, like a theological truth. Like, yes, Jupiter is out there, and Jesus is holding Jupiter. And that's true. Because in him, all things hold together. But did you know that your blood is flowing because Jesus is holding it together? Did you know your cells are working because Jesus is holding it together? And think that Jesus does that for everyone. And even those people who hate him and who mock him and who push them, him away, he still has ordained the perfect place, the perfect time for them to live so that they will seek him. And how loving is that? 
I mean, imagine if you were going to fix dinner every night for someone and every night they spit in your face and every night they told people, well, I buy this dinner at a restaurant down the street and, you know, I pay about 20 bucks and it arrives and they would give no glory to you. All of us would, maybe we would do that for a week and then that would be it. And here God is sustaining the life of everyone across the planet. It's just very, very exciting. Okay, so um, what I'm not going to read is um, from Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 19 through 22. Just about the creation being subjected to sin until, you know, the sons of God are revealed. But... What I want to show you is that even though creation groans, so we know creation isn't the way it was in the beginning. In the beginning, you could pet a polar bear. In the beginning, you could run across the yard with a tiger. I mean, in the beginning, you could play with all the animals. You could ride a dinosaur. It would be very, very exciting, although I think I would still be a little nervous (laughs) about the dinosaur rides. But in the beginning, creation was different. There weren't weeds, there weren't thistles, you know, it was, there was only life. So anything that you see in creation that's death wasn't there in the beginning. So creation is subjected. But even though creation is subjected, there's something about creation I want you to see. And it has to do with Jesus being the creator. So this is taking you... To Mark 4, starting in verse 35. And this is Jesus, and he's with the disciples, and they have been teaching. And on that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, Hey, let's go over to the other side. I I added hey. I don't know if he said hey. Um, Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose such a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up. It was already filling up. There's water filling up the boat. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this then that even the winds and the sea obey him? Why do the winds and the sea obey him? Because he made them. And I almost wonder, and this is totally my imagination. I'm not saying this is in the Bible. I'm not saying this is true. But I have to wonder if the wind and the waves are like, hey, our creator is right here. Let's get his attention. Water, 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 you know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just imagining that. I'm sure that's not what it was. But Jesus rebukes the wind. And he says to the sea, hush, be still. He doesn't cast a demon out. 
because there was no demon involved in that. It's just his creation. And he is just telling it to calm down. But he has absolutely no fear of his creation because it completely belongs to him. It will do whatever he says. It's at his command. And that's something sometimes our view of God is too small. And we think sometimes that, you know, somehow the devil and God are in a match and it's this even match. The devil is like an ant to God. And all he has to do is smush it. But here's God, powerful, and he made everything. And everything except people that he gave free will to listen to everything that he says immediately. So, and that is why you can pray over a washing machine when it breaks down. Because God made the people who made the washing machine. (laughs) That's just my theory. (laughs) Okay, so, um, God can do anything. So here's another story that I love. Now, I, I just, I want you to know this. We talked about Jesus. He is holding everything together by his powerful hand. Nature belongs to him. Nature listens to him. Now, whether people believe that or not doesn't matter. It's still true. People can say, oh, I don't believe that. Well, nothing changes. When people have faith, it doesn't change reality. It changes them. So, does that make sense? Okay, so this is about, let's see, what, where is this from? This is from John 9. And this is when Jesus heals the blind man. I'm not going to read the whole story. Um, but starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So this is Jesus. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Teacher, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now we know in other parables, you know, Jesus says, Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. So we do know sometimes sin does cause sickness or blindness or whatever. But in this case... Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground And made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Now, I want you to notice something. I mean, I might be missing something here, but I don't see this man asking Jesus to heal him. Jesus just 
you know, it's like the disciples are talking about him. They notice him and Jesus just decides. He just walks over. He spits. Yuck. And makes a clay, puts it on his eyes, tells him to go wash the guy. You know, I got to get this mud off. I don't know if he has faith at that point. I don't know. But he goes and washes and he is healed. And Jesus says to him, you know, just this very simple thing. And he goes and does it. And his life is completely forever changed. Now, after that, the Pharisees find out. And they're like, what happened? What happened? And he says, I don't know. This guy did blah, blah, blah. And now, I don't know, I was blind and now I can see. And the Pharisees, you know, and he says, what, do you want to believe in him too? And they're, so they go look for his parents. And his parents are afraid, so they don't want to say anything. And, you know, this is going on and on. And then I love this part because um, it says in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. He didn't tell Jesus. Jesus just heard. I don't know who he heard it from. I don't know if he heard it from the parents. I don't know if he heard it from the disciples. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And remember, Jesus always calls himself the Son of Man. He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And then Jesus says again, and you're going to get used to hearing this word, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. I love the movie Sweet Home Alabama. And in one of the scenes, he asks her, Why do you want to marry me? And she says, So I can kiss you anytime I want to. And Jesus, have you guys seen that? And Jesus can fix his creation anytime he wants to. He can heal people anytime he wants to. Sometimes they don't even have to ask. You guys have all heard of miracles happening to non-Christians, right? Where they escape a terrible accident. Do you think it just happened? It was coincidence? This is Jesus. This blind man. Now, Bartimaeus is a different story. He called out, you know, save me. But this, you know, Jesus initiated that. And then Jesus found him. And he called him very specifically to believe in him. And I love that. I love that about Jesus. Because for me, I feel like that's what he did for me when I was lost. He pursued me. And so when I read this story, I get so excited because it reminds me of that. Um, Psalm 139 says this, For you formed my inward parts. 
you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet was not one of them. Jesus knit you together in your mother's womb. You weren't a coincidence. You weren't a mistake. You were planned and wanted and loved. And in every person that Jesus knits together in their mother's womb, there is a call, a hope, a future, if they choose to follow him. And that is the love of our God. It's the love of a God who created and loves his creation even when it resists him, even when it mocks him, even when it kills him. It's the creator. I mean, imagine you created the people who are mocking you and spitting on you and nailing you to the cross. And when I step back and look at that, it is so amazing to me. And not only is Jesus the creator, but anything to do with his creation, he perfects. And one of the most precious moments in my walk with the Lord was um, I had broken my pelvis when I was in my car seat. You guys have heard my testimony, but my pelvis was shattered in hundreds of pieces. And years later, I was in my 40s. This happened when I was 16. And I was talking to the doctor, and I had pulled some kind of weird muscle. And, you know, the doctor was teasing me because, oh, yeah, this is what people in their 40s do. And he said, but I'm going to take an x-ray anyway. He took an x-ray of my hip. And when he showed it to me, every single piece was together, forming a bone. And you could see what looked like glue, like this white substance between every piece, and it was put back together. And I could not believe it. And I wish that I would have, you know, said, I'm keeping this. But it was the most profound, not the most profound, it's just so beautiful because I thought, Jesus knit my bones back together. He didn't have to. He could just move them out of the way. But he glued them back together, and he did it so that I would be able to see on that x-ray that they were all fitted back together, hundreds of pieces, to this little bone that's this big. And then I think to myself, why am I so? Because Jesus knit that bone together in the very first place. Why would I not expect him to knit it back together? 
And so I want you to understand the heart of God for you. Not only are you his creation, but he has redeemed you and you belong to him. What would he possibly not do for you? And can you trust him? Jesus did not knit my bones together back when I was 16. It was years later. I moved them so I could have babies, but they showed up on x-rays still in pieces. So why did he do that? Because he can. Because he loves me. And some of us, we are waiting. We're waiting on God to do something. And it feels like it's been a long time. And some of us are kind of mad. And I want to say to you, if Jesus loves you enough to hold everything together before you even knew him, before you even wanted him, how many of you have tested God's patience and he has still loved you? Is there anything he won't do for you if it is good? No good thing does the Lord withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And we are blameless in the blood of Jesus. So I want you to leave tonight, and I want you to have a bigger picture of God. Your heart is beating because of him. Your lungs are breathing because of him. He is showing love to every person on this planet right now, this minute. And if you need the creator of your body and your soul and your spirit to do a miracle, please step out in faith and ask him. Amen? Well, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to break up in our groups. Lord Jesus, I bless all of these women in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you love them, you created them, you knit them together in your mother's womb, you chose them, you pursued them, you called them to believe in you. And Lord, we just love you. Expand our view of you. Lord, we need miracles in this room. I think every person in this room needs a miracle, and you can do it. There is nothing too big for you. And, Lord, we're not going anywhere. We don't have a timetable. We don't have an agenda. We surrender everything to you. But our faith is in you, the one who loves us, who always had, who always has and always will. And everyone said, Amen.